0: This is Evidence-Based GI, and I'm Jacqueline Gollin, founder of GastroGirl, a patient-centric company focused on improving digestive health. Today, we'll be discussing the AGA and ACG Clinical Practice Guideline on Chronic Idiopathic Constipation with Philip Schoenfeld, Editor-in-Chief, about his summary in the July 2023 issue of EBGI, which is titled, AGA-ACG Clinical Practice Guideline on Chronic Idiopathic Constipation Treatments, Parsing Benefits and Risks. So, this is an exciting topic. You know, we have so many patients that are constipated and want to know more and how to treat it and everything. So, why is this an important topic for our listeners, in your opinion, and what is unique about the study that you reviewed?
1: Thanks very much for interviewing me today, Jacqueline. And this is very important because it's the first evidence-based guideline about chronic idiopathic constipation treatments to be published in many years. And several new chronic idiopathic constipation treatments have become available in preceding years. And this includes both over-the-counter agents as well as prescription agents. So this is a great opportunity for both physicians and patients to understand which medications have demonstrated to be beneficial in randomized control trials, as well as understanding which medicines haven't shown much benefit compared to a placebo in randomized control trials.
0: Well, I know patients will be really interested in this because many, many patients struggle. They go for years bouncing from one treatment, one over-the-counter treatment, prescriptions, they bounce back and forth and they can't find relief. So this is really important study, in my opinion, for the patient population that struggle with this. So could you please discuss how the authors investigated the topic and the study findings? Sure. The
1: authors used the GRADE methodology, which is a standardized methodology for evidence-based guidelines. And it essentially means that a systematic review and meta-analysis was done for all randomized controlled trials for a specific constipation treatment versus placebo to assess whether or not it was better at improving complete spontaneous bowel movements. That's the one where we mean the patient's able to to pass stool with a sense of complete evacuation without straining, or to improve spontaneous bowel movements, meaning they sit down on the toilet and they might have to strain, and they might have a sense that they haven't gotten all the stool out, but they at least got some stool out. And they're also assessing whether or not it was a well-designed study in terms of being properly blinded between placebo and treatment. So, what they found was that there was very good evidence supporting the efficacy of polyethylene glycol and linaclutide and placanitide and plucaliprod. And so, that received strong recommendations based on at least moderate quality evidence, meaning... Well-designed RCTs with very few limitations. Now, interestingly, they also said that fiber and Sena products, which is a stimulant laxative, and magnesium oxide and lubiprostone were suggested for use. Meaning, the randomized control trial data supporting their efficacy wasn't really quite as good. Now, a couple of key points here. This is the first time magnesium oxide has had data to demonstrate its efficacy, even if it's only suggested for use. I think it definitely shows polyethylene glycol among over-the-counter medications is the one that has the best data that it's effective. And I'd note that the authors didn't even try to review stool softeners. Uh, like docusate sodium or docusate calcium, which are very commonly used, but the data is so poor they didn't even try to do a meta-analysis. So I think those are the key points about results
0: and And it's interesting, you know we have a lot of patients that struggle, as you know, with this and they don't have relief. You know, I'm thinking how this research could impact patients and in your opinion, how, How do you think this will impact patients, and how will you apply this research to the management of patients, you and your fellow clinicians? I think
1: for patients, they can look at this and understand that among the -the over-the-counter agents that they can get without a prescription and try on their own, that polyethylene glycol seems to be the agent that had the strongest recommendation for use. I also think as gastroenterologists, we wanna make sure we're asking our patients what things they've tried on their own when they come to see us. So for example, If I see a patient with constipation and I just reflexively say, okay, we're going to have you use some polyethylene glycol," without really talking with the patient or say to the patient, I want you to increase how much fiber you eat and take a fiber supplement and... You know drink some more water without giving the patient the opportunity to ask to tell me what they've already done then i'm doing that patient a disservice because most of the patients by the time they get to a gi doc have tried many of those things and if the patient's already tried and failed fiber and tried and failed senna as a stimulant laxative and tried and failed polyethylene glycol then okay that's when it's time to step up therapy And as we already discussed, there are multiple prescription agents that get a strong recommendation for use because they have very good efficacy based on randomized controlled trial data.
0: And that's a great point. And as I mentioned, we were kind of talking earlier. We interviewed several of your colleagues over the last, you know, several months, years about constipation issues. And, you know, one of them said, you know, if the patients aren't responding and for patients you know, uh, is for you to know too, if you're not responding to these things, even though there's efficacy and it says that it's, you know, very successful in patients, it may not be an issue where these over-the-counter treatments are going to help you, but it may be something else. It could be a motility issue. It could be something related to the pelvic floor. And I say that because I think we this is going to be a very popular discussion in a podcast episode because this is a very important topic uh, for patients. So I think this is important to note.
1: I think that's a very important point, that if a patient's tried multiple over-the-counter medicines when they come to see me as a GI doc, I want to do a careful digital rectal exam, and I want to assess the patient for pelvic floor dysfunction. And if I then try a couple of prescription agents for chronic constipation, and the patient still doesn't get better, then I'm much more concerned that the underlying problem might be pelvic floor dysfunction especially if it's in a woman with risk factors such as difficult vaginal pregnancies or vaginal deliveries, then I may do additional testing for pelvic floor dysfunction.
0: I'm so glad you mentioned that because that's it's, it's really key that uh, providers are aware of that. I, as a patient, it's very really important. This is fantastic. Thanks for joining us today. But before we finish, what are the key points for our listeners to remember?
1: think the key point is that the strong recommendations, based on at least what we call moderate quality evidence, meaning well-designed RCTs, were for polyethylene glycol, linaclitide, mecanatide, and procalipride, those are all prescription agents, except for polyethylene glycol, that the new guideline does suggest that both fiber and senna are effective as over-the-counter products. The data is not quite as good as for the ones I mentioned previously. And new is that magnesium oxide is also suggested for use based on RCT data. And finally, that, again, stool softeners like docusate sodium and docusate calcium weren't even reviewed to make a recommendation because there's so little data even though they get used all the time.
0: Well, thanks again for joining me today. For our listeners, please remember to subscribe to Evidence-Based GI on your favorite podcast platform. And please follow us on Twitter at ACG underscore EBGI, where we send out PowerPoint tutorials of EBGI summaries every Wednesday. For patients with digestive disorders, please check out the GastroGirl website and YouTube channel for patient-centric education. And for our ACG members, please read full issues of Evidence-Based GI on the ACG website or look out for our blast emails in the middle of each month.